0: Obviously I, you know, escalated my career really quickly. I started playing the biggest fields really young. And I was like, okay, where do I go from here? Like my life is gonna skyrocket. It's gonna be amazing at all times. And that's just not how life is, you know? You get injured, you get knocked down. But I I think I really truly appreciate that. Welcome
1: to the Just Women Sports Podcast, where we talk to the biggest athletes in the world about the untold stories behind their success. I'm Kelly O'Hara, and my guest today is Michelle Wee West. Michelle Wee West's career is unlike anyone else's in professional sports. At age 11, she was already winning adult amateur golf tournaments in her home state of Hawaii. At age 14, she was playing in both LPGA and PGA events. A week before she turned 16, she went pro. In 2014, she won the U.S. Open to claim her first major trophy. A five-time LPGA Titleist, Michelle has 59 career top 10 finishes, and this past year, she became a first-time mother. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. How are you doing?
0: Good. I'm good. Um, Yeah? You know, trying to get as much sleep as I can. Yeah, exactly. Um, But (laughs) you're a new mother now, and you're
1: squeezing this in between, you know, your daughter napping, so we appreciate it. I can imagine that it's a lot, but I'm sure you're doing great. It's it's so much fun, yeah. (laughs) Well, um, fun, (laughs) yeah, for sure. We're gonna definitely talk about motherhood later in the show, um, but let's go back to the beginning. You're born in Honolulu. Both your parents immigrated from South Korea, and your mom was actually an amateur golf champion in Korea. So, how was that?
0: How you were introduced to golf? Yeah. So my parents put me in every single sport possible. I also played soccer. Awful at it. I'm pretty sure they made up an award to give to me because I was so bad that I didn't fall into any of the the normal categories. But I played every single sport. I played baseball. I was on the swim team. I did ballet, gymnastics. And golf was really something that I chose to do. because I really wanted to be with my parents. And I saw my parents playing all these couples tournaments and you know they would always you know ship me off to my friend's house you know for a fun sleepover but I always wanted to hang out with them so I'm gonna do everything I can to learn the sport and be with them and that's kind of how I got into it. That's so funny. It's interesting I I
1: wouldn't assume that you played a bunch of different sports because I feel like golf is a very technical sport and people who become very good at it specialize in it
0: early on. Mm -hmm. So at what age did you actually start? golfing? So from, since I can remember, all I wanted to be was a professional athlete. Okay. I love being outside. I was a total tomboy. Um, you know, would play basketball with the boys when I was really little with the kids and at recess, you know, I, I really wanted to be a professional tennis player. That's all I wanted to do. And then I played soccer. Awful. Check that off the list. And it was like every year, almost, it was like, I'm going to throw this sport out. Okay. I suck at it. I was You know, pretty good at baseball. I was actually the only girl on the boys' team, made the all-star team, couldn't catch. So I was really good at hitting things, like tennis, baseball, yeah. Yeah, hand-eye coordination was your thing in terms of, like, actual
1: stick in hand.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but athleticism not there so they put me on outfield I'm, I vividly remember this kid stood up on the base and I was like this kid is huge and he finally hits it outfield and I try to catch it with two hands goes in between my hands and hit my face and I oh, come no. crying to my parents like I don't want to play baseball anymore so that's done obviously ballet and gymnastics We can all know how that went when yeah. I was six feet at 13 um, so tennis is like really like the one that I want to do so much okay. fun couldn't run I mean, my 40 is probably like 30 seconds. So golf was really the only thing that was left. So I was like, this is my only chance to be a professional athlete. So I was like, I'm just going to pour
1: my heart and soul into this. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Well, good choice. (sighs) It worked out. (laughs) So I read that you picked up a golf club at age four. So you were like on the course with your parents
0: just around it, immersed in golfing. Yeah. So actually I was practicing baseball at that time. So we're at the baseball field and my parents like brought out like a little golf club that they cut, you know, cut down and I was hitting it. And then, well, I mean, you know how parents exaggerate. So I I take this with a grain of salt and I do not know how true this is, but my parents claim that the first golf ball I ever hit went airborne. Yeah, really. old, but I just really enjoyed it. My favorite part about baseball was hitting. Okay. And my favorite part about tennis was hitting. So golf really was just that. Yeah, exactly. And I remember really soon after that, I hit it over the field and it like flew into someone's backyard and we all just like ran away. <laughs> so that's when my parents were like, okay, we need to graduate her and put on a golf course. And I was probably about seven years old. And then from then I was just really, really serious about it. Yeah, I mean, you
1: developed at an unprecedented pace. If you if you first got into it, you know,
0: around 7 years old, do you remember your first competition? yeah we have it's called ojga and hsjga which i'm very heavily involved with right now wahoo junior golf association and hawaii state junior golf association so that starts around like seven years old and i started playing in it and i think what people don't realize is how much of a physical unit i was when i was a kid (laughs) i mean i was yeah i was five seven And 165, 70 pounds, and I was 10 years old. And I was playing the... Yeah, I was. I was an absolute unit. I mean, this is back in the day where parents thought like chicken and nuggets were real chicken and, you know, like the most healthy thing. I don't know. For me, I was like, this tastes great. (laughs) I'm going to eat this every day. And I hit the ball probably 275 when I was 10 years old. So I started playing in, you know, stuff on Inner Island, on Island, and I just started winning everything qualified for my first national event when I was 10. And then they graduated me to when I was like 11 or 12, they graduated to like the 15 to 18 range and kind of won everything. So when I was like 14, I was like, okay, I guess the next logical step is I'm just going to play in a PJ Tour event. (laughs) Yeah, it's I mean, it's crazy. So
1: you said that you just became super hyper focused on it. Was that like, from seven to 10, were you just on the course every single day trying to improve? And did that come from within? Like you just were obsessed with it?
0: Yeah, I was obsessed with it. I I saw how good I could be and I hated losing. And, you know, my mom had a very competitive side to her too. And I really looked up to her for that. You know, she was in pageants all her life, was in competition. She was a dancer. Um, So she would tell me stories about, you know, how many blisters she got on her feet, you know, from training all day long. And I kind of saw that as a badge of honor. And I was like, that's so cool. Like, I should be doing that. And so I kind of took that on. And I remember my parents used to pack lunch. And during the weekends, um, we would go out and just be on the course all day. I just loved it.
1: Did you have a coach that or was it just your parents working with you?
0: It was my parents in the beginning, and then I took lessons from my coach, Casey Nakama, when I was about eight or nine. Okay. And then I—I I don't know if you know that. You know that IMG Academy, yes. um in Sarasota, they try to recruit me, but I didn't want to move to Florida, <laughs> so. That's way, I started, wrong, yeah. way far away from home. No, too far away from home. Yeah. So I started remotely working with the coach there and I started working with David Lebetter, who was the head coach at IMG Academy since I was 13, still work with him. So wow. it's been great. So you, yeah, so you as an eight-year-old and a seven-year-old, seven to 10-year-old,
1: you were just like a machine, not only a unit physically, but like a machine mentally. So at 10 years old, you basically took the golf world by storm. First, you become the youngest player to ever qualify for the U.S. Women's Amateur. Then, at age 11, you become the youngest to qualify for an LPGA event. And that same year, you win both the Hawaii State Women's Stroke Play Championship and the Jenny K. Wilson Women's Invitational. And then the next year, you win the Hawaii State open women's division by 13 shots all that was a mouthful <laughs> that was a ton that was that's your resume at 10 and 11 which is insane and I want to get into the feelings and emotions and just everything that went into that time but first can you explain for me for my sake and for the listeners kind of the progression that is how you move up
0: levels in golf and like how that works so the normal route usually is for people to play in AJGA events. So the okay. USGA, the one that I qualify for when I was 10 has about four championships every year. So it's a US Junior Girls, US Women Puppet Links where they don't have anymore. more. Um, it's now the four ball, which is like a team competition and then US Women's Amateur. Um, and then you have that on the, on the men's side as well. So as a Amateur golfer; those events are the biggest events of the summer. They're all usually in the summertime, and then you can start playing in AJGA events, which are a junior league, starting when you're 13. Okay. And then usually the normal route is to, you know, make your high school team and then make a college team. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I completely just took completely dropped all of those yeah. things. But my here's my rationale for that was that. I'm coming from Hawaii, an island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Okay. And you have these junior golf tournaments. And then you also have LPGA events, which is a professional league, obviously. And in my mind, I was like, it costs the same amount of money for our family to travel to the mainland to play in these tournaments. I might as well get more bang for my buck and play in these bigger tournaments. Yeah. And then I started qualifying for them, started getting sponsor exemptions. And I asked the AJJ when I was 12 years old, like, can I start playing in your league? And they had said no. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm getting invitations to these professional events. I was like, it costs the same amount of money. I'm like, this sounds like an opportunity I cannot miss. Wait, so why'd they say no? Because I wasn't 13.
1: Oh, so they wouldn't let you play in this amateur event. Because yeah. you weren't old enough, but you Ex- could go play in LPGA events. Yeah. Because you were getting invited to them. The way you qualify for LPGA events is through ranking or certain standings within. Other events, correct?
0: So yes. Yeah. So there's I mean, there's a whole different way. Once you become a member, yes. You qualify through money list, through rankings, world rankings. But for someone who is not a member, there is a qualifying event the Monday before the tournament. Got it. But back in the day, anyone could, you know, you can just like sign up for it. And then there's two spots that get in.
1: Oh, interesting. That's fascinating. Didn't know that. Okay. And so did you ever
0: have to do that? For some yeah, event? so my first LPG event, Take Fuji Classic, it was played on the Big Island and I did the Monday qualifying event and I got in. That's insane. How old were you? I was 12. Oh my gosh. So you you
1: squarely are just like, yeah, I'm the best here. I'm 12 years old and I'm going <laughs> to go play in a professional tournament. So what were you thinking when you started teeing off against
0: adults as 10-year-old, 11-year-old Michelle? Uh, I mean, I was so nervous. I mean, I was on the range with my idols. You know, there's Meg Mellon and Beth Daniel behind me, you know, Kari Webb, these Hall of Famer golfers that you watch on TV all your life. And all of a sudden they're like right in front of you and you're like in the same field as them. It felt so surreal. I'm sure. I mean, I can't even wrap my head around that. <laughs> Did you ever wish that you were
1: competing with people closer to your age or was it fun to be a prodigy with these adults? And to follow up on that question, being young and almost not, I don't want to say naive, but we've talked about this in other episodes where when you're young, you don't know the pressure, you don't know the failure. Therefore, you, you probably don't get as nervous as you would when you get older. And then there's like this level of expectation where you're eleven. You're playing against adults. Mm-hmm. If you win,
0: awesome. If you lose, no issue, you know? Yeah, I mean it was I was the underdog at all times. But you know, at the same time I was playing these LPG events. I was still playing in junior golf tournaments in Hawaii. It wasn't like a one or the other kind of thing. I mean, obviously I turned pro when I was sixteen. So I stopped playing in the junior golf tournaments at that time. But yeah, I definitely I mean, I look back and I'm like, wow, the level of confidence that I had i definitely wish i still had today like if you could just play like how you did when you were 10 11 12 like it's insane it's insane because you have your whole life ahead of you and but that's the one thing that i i've really come to appreciate with all my injuries i just saw my life because obviously i you know escalated my career really quickly i started playing the biggest fields really young. And I was like, okay, where do I go from here? Like my life is going to skyrocket. It's going to be amazing at all times. <laughs> and that's just not how life is. You know, you get injured, you get knocked down. But I, I think I really, truly appreciate that because I don't lead my life with cynicism. I wouldn't say that There's definitely been phases where I, I did, but I appreciate the good times a lot more now than when I did when I was younger, because I just imagined my whole life to be amazing. You know, and that's just not the case. So you have to celebrate the good times. I think that's what I learned. I love that. And it's, it's
1: so true. It's so true. So at what point did you realize you had the it factor?
0: I don't know. So I never was like the popular kid in school, like quite the opposite. So I'm not sure if I knew I ever had the it factor, but I was just so confident. Every time I walk on the golf course, I just knew that I was the best and I don't know if that's arrogance or confidence or just being pure naive, but I just really enjoyed being on the golf course. That's when I felt comfortable. That's when I felt most like myself. Yeah, that makes sense. Did when you
1: started winning, you know, having so much success at such a young age, do you
0: feel like that made you train harder? Yeah, for sure. Because I wanted to see how good I could become and Breaking records to me was just like so much fun. It was like, okay, what, what, what can, I, can break I break next? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it was, it was definitely, you know, like a drug. You know, it was like that. You try to find that next high. You know, for sure makes sense. Um,
1: so, age thirteen and fourteen, you basically become a national star. You're a teenager now. You're a hometown legend, and. In 2003, at age 13, you win the Women's Amateur Public links Tournament. You're the youngest player, male or female, to ever win a USGA adult event. And then the next year, in 2004, at age 14, you're given a sponsor's exemption to play in the Sony Open, which was a PGA event, correct?
0: (laughs) Yes. So first of all, can you explain (laughs) a sponsor exemption? So obviously a sponsor puts up all the money for the purse, for the tournament, so... In their mind, they're like, okay, I want to have a say in who gets to play a tournament. So I want to allocate two to four spots where I want to choose who gets to play. So it's someone that obviously isn't in the rankings that would not have gotten the tournament on their own. And Sony, I guess... Wanted me to play. They and, wanted fourteen-year-old
1: Michelle out there. That's
0: insane. <laughs> yeah, they're like. I mean, obviously, it made for a good news story. I totally. wasn't really aware of that back then. That's wild. So you didn't
1: feel like you, because, uh, like you said, there was a ton of media hype beforehand and during. So you, as a as a fourteen-year-old, you didn't really
0: understand or feel that. No, and I think I mean I am really happy that back in the day. Google didn't really exist as much Instagram, you know, so Facebook, no Snapchat. If True. your parents want to hide news from you, they can very easily do so. Yeah. I, you know, I just didn't focus on that at all. For me, my mindset was okay. I played on the boys team in baseball. I made the all-star team, you know, all my friends are boys. So it was like a super tomboy. So I didn't feel like that was a really a bizarre thing to do later in life I look back and I'm like okay like that, that was crazy, that, was I mean, crazy that I did that yeah. yeah and at that time I was just like you know if someone I was just one of those kids that you tell me no I'm gonna do it and they're like oh you can't play with the boys I'm like why not like I, what, I, I, why why can't we do that I don't yeah. understand like is That's it like so uh, uh, there's not it's not a rule like you know
1: I mean, I have a similar story. I used to play kickball and soccer on the playground in middle school and elementary school with the boys. And I was like, oh, I'm just better than them. But you were a 14-year-old playing in a PJ event, and that's just insanity. So you didn't feel this media hype, which probably, obviously, for the best, like you said. So there's one thing about this tournament that is kind of random, but I read that you had to have custom long pants made because yeah. the PGA Tour requires players to wear trousers or pant, golf pants, uh-huh. and you'd only worn shorts. Is that true?
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I had a crazy long inseam. So, I mean, all these apparel companies were giving me clothes now and custom making my pants because at that time I mean fashion really came a long way golf fashion for women have gone a long way I mean back then there really wasn't much option I don't think there even was a woman's long golf pant and I would just go to the store and it would look like capris and obviously that would not work I would get kicked off so I was very fortunate that I had a lot of companies you know willing to make custom pants for me that's amazing. So,
1: we don't, not to talk about what you're wearing, because that's very, you know, things people do with female athletes, but to talk about your performance, you missed the cut by one stroke, but you beat 47 adult men over 36 holes with a score that beat or tied seven major winners. How do you think that performance changed your career's timeline?
0: I mean, it accelerated for sure. You know, I shot 68 the second round and I actually made a birdie on the last hole. And usually, historically speaking, the number that I shot even par made the cut every year. So that in my mind was my goal. If I was like, if I shoot even par, I make the cut and I birdied the last hole to make it. And I come off. I mean, I gave a fist pump. I was like so pumped. And I got off the green. My mom's like... You didn't make it. You didn't make it, and I was just like, "Yeah, I was just like crushed." I'm like, "Oh man, are these guys playing harder or what?" Like that, I'm playing in the probably. Um, and I was just, I was really sad. I was really sad. I thought I made it, um, but it gave me so much confidence, you know. And when I, I was also really shocked at how welcoming all the guys were. That's awesome to hear. Yeah. And, you know, I played a practice round with my idol, Ernie Els. I mean, he's someone that I looked up to my entire life. And, you know, I got the nickname Big Wheezy because his nickname is Big Easy. And <laughs> those moments and those memories that I remember more than the actual golf is just being on the range and just being there, not as a kid watching your idols play, but as a fellow competitor, mm-hmm. that is just a, it's crazy, crazy. And the things that I've learned. From those experiences, it took me. From, like it's still with me. Yeah, I'm sure That'd be, that's
1: like a such a surreal experience, and you continued to to have those. Um, I'm curious because of all the media hype, and you might not have realized it because maybe your parents sheltered you from it. But did you start to feel after that event this um, bit of celebrity, like you are this national star? And because with that comes scrutiny and people started to wonder, like, are you doing too much? Like, should you be playing against um, people your own age and learning how to win, that sort of
0: thing? Oh, for sure. You know, you now you get to an age where, you know, things things affect you as a teenager a lot more than it affects you as an adult. Like there's a lot of emotions, you know, it's maximum happiness and just maximum teenage angst. Um, And the thing that made me really sad was the unfair treatment I felt like my parents received. Um, because you know, sports writers would write articles on how my parents forced me to do this for attention. and that really wasn't the case and that just made me really sad. Um, you know, the thing that my parents really enforced was me having a normal childhood. you know, they sheltered me from all the news articles. They didn't want me to have a you know, a big ego. and you know the thing that really helped was the fact that I went to school. I went I didn't, wasn't homeschooled. I went to a normal school where, the school said okay you're only allowed to miss a certain amount of weeks two weeks per year um and that really is not a lot and my friend my best friend who was my maid of honor at my wedding she still to this day does not know what golf is and (laughs) and we were you know when i would go back to school even when i was at stanford too none of my friends at college know what golf is they don't know any of that so i almost like led this double life where you know i would be this i guess persona on the golf course and I would go back home and no one would know I would just be a completely normal kid since having you know this is the one thing I really love about social media is the fact that you can put your own stories out there and I always felt like you know going through you know talking to reporters um, and it's just something always they, they already have a story in mind and I was a communication major at Stanford and you know took journals and classes and I did the same thing too. I already have a story in mind that I want to post. So I'm going to ask these questions to try and get that a story that I have in mind. And that really made me understand reporters and have a better understanding of them. Um, I definitely had a lot of hatred towards reporters when I was younger because I did not quite understand that. And I was like, why are they just like printing out lies, you know? Um, but I think being able to share your own story, your own way, I, I, I really do enjoy doing that. Yeah, it's so important. And like you said, I think that social
1: media allows you to do that. I'm, I'm the same way. And it, yeah, I can't imagine going through that as a teenager would not have handled it well. So hat off to you about that. So going forward or moving forward, you turned professional right before a week before your 16th birthday. What
0: went into that decision? A lot of things I did when I was younger, I was like, oh, that'd be really cool. You know, like the Sweet Sixteen show on MTV was like this big thing. And I was like, you know how like you're supposed to do something big for your 16th birthday. And I was like, I want to turn a professional. That's hilarious. So was that, yeah. so, you,
1: she, so it was basically you had just been progressing so much and you were like, why wouldn't I turn professional at
0: this point? I, you know, obviously would get top 10 at, you know, LPGA tournaments that I would see the paychecks that I would not be receiving. And That's I'm like, right. wait a second there. <laughs> why? Why can't I get that money? Yeah, no kidding. And I mean, for me, like I, I knew my parents never made me choose between education and sport. It was always education, plus you can do something if you can fit it in. So for me, when I made that decision, I didn't feel like I was giving up my school life. I didn't feel like I was like giving up my education. It felt like something I can do on top of it. Mm-hmm. My motto, I guess, is like, what's the worst thing that can happen? <laughs> That's awesome. That's a great motto. Yeah, <laughs> it's taken me on like, you know, turning <laughs> here and there. But, you know, it's just what's the worst thing that can happen? I mean, I knew I wanted to go to Stanford. That was not something I was going to give up. And, you know, not having experience of playing on a high school team, I guess, I didn't really have that experience or I, I didn't know what I was missing. So, I was like, okay, I can turn pro and I have good enough grades so hopefully and maybe a cool enough story that I can get into Stanford. So that was my next main goal. Do you feel like your life changed once you made that decision? Or do you feel yes like it stayed no. similarly? Very similar. similar. Um, you know, I didn't. I don't even know. I don't think I've even bought anything. My parents put all my money in a trust That's that vacant. I couldn't touch. And we just we stayed in our same apartment. We didn't, you know, move or do anything extravagant. I wasn't all of a sudden flying in private jets. Um I did have the opportunity to a couple of times because my sponsors were so so amazing. Yeah. But it's not like I was still the unpopular kid in high school. You know, I still have the same friends. So, I, and nothing really changed that makes sense.
1: So I want to get into a couple injury type things, early struggles that, you know, were obstacles on, on your journey. And right as you were turning professional, you know, 15, 16, you had some early top five finishes, but then you ended up injuring your wrist. And these were really like the first big road bumps in your career. How did you handle an injury in this road bump?
0: You know, injuries definitely were the toughest part of my career. It was the moments that really brought me down and brought me to a dark place. You know, I actually uh, fractured my wrist at Stanford at my visit. Doing what? Yeah. Well, I was, you know, they put me up with some of the golf girls and they're like, we're going to go do a workout. And I'm like, okay, I'll just do my workout, I guess, with you guys. And they were on the track and I had this track workout that I do. And remember, I told you I was not an athlete. My trainer at the time told me to do like backward sprints. Oh, no. I don't know why. I uh, Yeah, exactly. Oh, no. <laughs> fell and fell backwards on my left wrist, fractured it in three places. And, you know, I, I honestly didn't know much about orthopedic specialist. I mean, that's all I know now. (laughs) Or, you know, specialist surgeons, specialist doctors. Back in the day, I just went to my pediatrician and I was like, my wrist hurts. (laughs) And they just like put me in a cast. And, you know, my doctor did the best they could, but they're obviously not orthopedic specialists. And my wrist didn't set properly. Oh my god. And they took my cast off a little bit too early, hit some golf balls, fractured it some more. So, and at that point, I did not understand what an injury was i mean obviously i broke in my arm when i was a kid i mean who doesn't yeah and but going through this was such a different experience now you have to you know do the right things you have to rehab i did not know any of those so and at the same time i was like okay an injury can hurt my body but it's not going to break my mind kind of thing i had this like really stubborn mentality where i'm like pain is mental pain is mental pain is not mental pain is really physical yeah and i went on this route where you know i you know just took took painkillers, not in an unhealthy way, but just enough to, you know, keep playing at a high level could not. And that's when I just really got, you know, down on myself. I just felt like it was one moment where my life had completely shattered. I just, you know, I imagined my life, like I said before, like it just to be amazing all the time. And I just could trace it back to this one moment where I felt like my life had completely fallen apart and that was you know really difficult to come back from but you know going from that and you know obviously having a lot of injuries in my career that's definitely been the toughest part because i felt like a lot of it was you know outside of my hands like little freak accidents here and there yeah so you know it's something that i wish i didn't have to experience or anyone else have to experience but i'm also glad that i have experienced it because now I have experience of going through it and I know what to do. And I can help my friends who are going through the same, I guess, experience of when they go through an injury.
1: Yeah. Makes sense. I can't believe that you just went to your pediatrician for a broken wrist as a professional golfer. That's so crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah. I didn't know any better though. Like, you know, my parents didn't know any better. Like we, yeah. I, I don't think like back in the day, it was that, I mean, when you're a parent to a kid, I think that if your parents aren't athletes then they have gone through that. I don't think you don't know what the first thing to do is. No, I know. It's true. And and I'm just thinking because you weren't necessarily on a team
1: and you didn't have maybe like an ATC or something that exactly. said, oh, you need to go see an orthopedic surgeon. They need to set mm-hmm. this properly. This is very important. Like your wrists are essentially the most use I mean I'm not a golfer so I don't know but very integral to yeah thing um, it's like hurting your foot right like exactly yeah yes it's like my ankle yeah, yeah exactly Which I've I've only seen orthopedic surgeons for <laughs> oh my gosh um so would you say that that was your first time that you were feeling anxiety like adult anxiety like this pressure of oh my gosh this is my career and now I can't do it the way that I want to
0: Oh yeah, I felt like I couldn't do it at all. Like I I actually got like really nervous. I had the yips after that, and you know, just I'd get to a shot and be like terrified, you know. And that's you know kind of why I stepped away from the game this past time, like about a year and a half ago, is because I was in so much pain that I just like was terrified. Like this little white golf ball, it was so terrifying to me that, you know, I just, I mean, it's it was scary.
1: Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you after the first? bout of like your wrist injury, do you feel like you were able to get to a good place mentally again? Like you worked through it and you're like, okay, this is how
0: I can get back to where I want to be. For sure. Oh yeah. And you know, that's what I'm most proud of myself throughout my career is, you know, not my beginning, but how I would always come back after feeling like I'm in the lows of lows. And there's so many times I wanted to quit. There's so many times where, you know, I just didn't want to play anymore, but I, you know, found the passion for it again. And I think it was so weird. I think through my injuries and through going, when golf was so easy, it almost got to the point where I lost my passion because I didn't have to work at it. I did not I took everything for granted. And I think when everything was taken away from me, that's when I truly, truly found the passion for the sport is because I almost had to relearn everything from the ground up and that was so exciting to me was to build and i can finally understand like when golfers first get into it they get so addicted to it because it's so hard and i know sounds like crazy to say but for me finally golf was like really really hard and it was almost addicting to try to find that back totally pursue excellence because yeah. you're never gonna be perfect but I
1: had that moment today at the field when I was like just out there training on my own, just being able to always trying to be as good as you can possibly be. Exactly. Yeah. So go to Stanford because we have the Stanford connection. Oh, yeah. You've talked about this already, that education was super important to you. So you always wanted to go to college regardless of if you were a professional or were playing golf. Mm -hmm. And... Were you ever concerned that the academic load would distract from your golf game? What was that like?
0: I was a little bit nervous, but not nervous because I felt like the high school that I went to was very academically challenging. So I've always had the experience of doing homework in the car when my mom's driving or, you know, on the road. So I felt pretty confident. I think my parents knew that going to college for me was a good way for me to grow up. And, you know, you learn so many things in college that you can't learn anywhere else. Um, and I'm looking back on it. That was probably the smartest decisions that, you know, we've ever made was for me to go to Stanford. And I thought that even if it took me away from golf a little bit, it was worth it. Totally. So...
1: 2009, 2010. This is while you're at Stanford, you're student. You won your first professional tournament, the Lorena, Ocho? Lorena uh-huh. Ochoa. Ochoa, yeah, yeah. Ocho- Ochoa, <laughs> Invitational. In 2010, you had another good season and picked up your second win. What were those
0: wins like for you? What did the what did that do for your mentality? Oh, that was huge. Um, you know, like I going back to the injury 2007 when I got it, and you know, two years I. You know, played really bad. 2009, I actually made my first Solheim team, um, which is, you know, USA versus Europe is a big team event, Mm -hmm. which I'm very passionate about. And, you know, being on that winning team and then also winning that same year, it just really felt like I validated my place on tour. You know, always being that young kid on tour, always being, you know, the junior who got sponsor exemptions. And just like, really, that's the year I got my card. I actually went to qualifying school. It was a crazy story. Wait, what's qualifying school? (laughs) So you know how I told you on Monday qualifiers where there's like two people get in? There's an entire qualifying week where top 20 get their LPGA tour card, which is their status. And back in the day, you can also get your status if you want a tournament or if you, um, get a certain ranking. Okay. And actually that was, so 2008 was probably one of my worst years after my getting back from my wrist injury. I was on my way to win my first tournament and I actually didn't sign my scorecard, which in golf, if you don't sign your scorecard, you get automatically disqualified. Oh my and God, now, that's finally, stressful. Yeah. So I finally played well. I'm like, Oh my God, if I win this event, I don't have to go to qualifying school because qualifying school is like the most stressful week of your life. And that determines your future. Is qualifying school, you're playing golf and how you, and
1: like, yeah. you're, you're guaranteed to qualify or you have to rank a certain area yeah. number? So it's like a,
0: it's, it's a five round qualifying series okay. where you have to make top 20. Okay. So top 10, you get your card. Top 10 to 20 is conditional depending on who withdraws. It's really complicated. Yes. Basically, you have to like get top 20 out of, hun- I mean, there's two stages, right? There's, I mean, out of like 300, people. So it's stressful. It's stressful. It all yeah. depends on how you play that week. You know, okay. it's not like based on the whole year. Mm-hmm. It's just how you, you, sometimes you have it on, sometimes you don't have it on. It's just like super stressful. And I was on a golf tournament and could skip qualifying school. I just didn't sign my card. And it's some, I was so excited to finally be playing well that I didn't that sign my is, card. So, that is wild. Yeah. So going through that, finally, like I just felt like really validated. I'm, you know, I'm official, you know, LPGA member. Mm-hmm. And having that, being at school and then coming back and, you know, celebrating, that was, you know, a lot of fun. For sure. I feel like that must have been like such a great feeling to have
1: your first professional win. That's awesome. And to not go from a high to a low, but 2011 through 2014, like I said, we talked, you know, your wrist was Mm -hmm. happened earlier. And then you kind of have this second slump, if you want to call it that, but it was, a lot of people started to focus on your putting game and mm-hmm. to your credit, you persevered again and you did what you had to do to adjust your game and to be a better putter. Can you talk about, so I've watched some of the videos. Can you talk about <laughs> to us about the evolution of this iconic tabletop putting
0: style? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sports is, you know, obviously there's a big physical component, but it's a huge mental component as well, too. And especially it, golf. I mean, yeah. that's
1: you talking about the white ball being, you're like scared of this white ball. And I'm obviously not a professional golfer, but I do not understand how people consistently hit this tiny little ball it is insane to me so sorry
0: yeah I mean I mean like soccer is like a lot of sports are reactive you know you don't even have time to think whereas golf you have like all the time in the world so true so when you do go through a slump it like really magnifies it you know you just all of a sudden you're like really in your head about things and really couldn't putt. you know just felt really uncomfortable and then all of a sudden at the last tournament of 2013 I remember I was playing with a bat and then all of a sudden in the middle of the round, I was like paired with a really short player. And that short player was making all the putts. And I was like, you know what? I'm using my Stanford brain here. And I think the scientific reason why she is putting better than me is because her eyes are closer to the golf ball. And therefore, if in, so facto, <laughs> this white ball is looking bigger to her and the hole is looking bigger to her because she is that much closer to the ball. <laughs> this amazing. Oh my gosh. So I'm like, okay, if I get closer to the ball and make myself the same height as her, then, if so facto, I will start putting better. This is incredible. That's yes. such a good story. So I started doing that, and I didn't realize what I was actually doing until some people started talking about it, and I was like, "Okay, so what?" Like, yeah, I'm I'm like a little bit more bent over, and then started watching like pictures of me, and I started laughing. I'm like, "Oh my god, I'm literally 90 degrees," but I, I didn't care. I finally from that moment on, I started feeling really comfortable. And that was something that I was searching for. And I didn't know that was the answer that I had found, but it was something that helped me. I won twice that following year, which I I want to ask ask you about.
1: Yeah. So obviously you figured something out because in 2014, you picked up your third win and even more importantly, you won the U.S. Women's Open and it was your first major Uh, which is something you've you obviously were building towards for years and it came down to the final three holes and in I want to talk about when you lost the (laughs) ball when you guys couldn't find the ball I watched a video on this and you said that you weren't stressed about finding the ball so on the 17th hole you you lost the ball right is that was it uh, 16 16th hole yeah
0: I was just honestly like You know, when something feels so surreal to you and you're just like kind of in a daze and like, oh, find the ball. I was in such a zen mode that week, and that's probably why I won because naturally I do have a lot of anxiety. And Mm -hmm. for some reason, I was like, oh, yeah, we'll find the golf ball, you know, it'll be be there. And (laughs) thankfully, my caddy found it with like probably like 10 seconds to go because there's a five minute limit. I know on finding a golf ball. But yeah, I was just in a really zen mode, and I, just, I with I guess you know when you're, it's your week, you have this like really calming sense. I guess for sure, yeah, because like you said, I mean, I feel like golf is
1: there's it's so mental, and if you're able to be in just like the zen zone, that's must be ah, that that is the best place in any sure. sport really. Yeah. Um. So you see the final putt go in on the 18th hole.
0: What did that mean to you? Oh, it was everything. I just had this huge sense of relief. It was just pure happiness. It was something that I've wanted to achieve my whole entire life and it all come together. It was just, it was amazing. I felt so accomplished. It was the best moment of my life. Besides obviously getting married and having a kid. That's awesome. I love that. So
1: you win your first major. And so 2014 till now, You've, you've obviously you've alluded to this already in the podcast that you've had to deal with a lot of injuries, you know, throughout a couple times in your life, a couple of them coming in the last few seasons. So in a lot of ways, your story started out as like a prodigy tale, and now it's turned into one of perseverance, and which I, I love and I think is so important for for people to hear. You talk about that. And in 2019, you even said... In an interview that you weren't sure how much you had left to give. Mm-hmm. What has kept you going through all of these different setbacks?
0: I think for me, finding happiness in my life was one of the most driving factors of all my decisions. So turning pro, you know, playing in men's events, going to college, those were all things that I wanted to do and I wanted to live my life knowing that I've done that. And, you know, I think stepping away from the game, I knew at that time that I had so desperately wanted to play golf and my body was telling me, you know, just rest, just stop. And I feel like everything happens for a reason. And, you know, I'm convinced that my injury happened at that time. So then, you know, I could have time to plan my wedding and, you know, just have a kid. And I knew that doing both of those things were, you know, potentially going to distract me from golf the same way that, you know, potentially going to college would, but, you know, happiness to me is the most driving factor of all my decisions. And I knew that I'll figure it out as I go. And then, you know, having my baby and I was thinking, okay, I was always that person. that was like, I'm going to have a kid and then I'm going to stop playing. It was always thought that I was going to be that. Um, I actually had this really long talk with Carrie Walsh Jennings. We did a TV show together and, you know, she has three kids play at the highest level still. It was just so amazing. And I was like, okay, that sounds, you know, doable. You know, I can do that. And then when I, the moment I found out that my baby was a girl, that really changed my perspective on the world and, you know, how I want to Leave the world for her and, you know, women's sports and, you know, whatever she wants to do. And I wanted to lead by example. And that's kind of the driving force now to get back because honestly, after my last injury, it just, it really didn't seem possible. And, you know, stepping a lot of time away from it and the fact that my husband is playing, we play together, it's definitely brought that childhood joy back, which is a lot of fun. And, you know, having that inspiration, I think it drives you in a very different way. I love all of that. I mean, you've been going and going, and going since you were 10. And the
1: fact that you're able to be like joy and happiness is the most important thing. And, and being able to evaluate that and find that in your life and figure out what that means is incredible. So I, I, Thank you for sharing that because that's I think that's like so important for people to hear. So a little bit on your pregnancy, um, you kind of already talked about this, but being a new mother, did that change
0: your understanding of your own body and what it's capable of? Oh, yeah, it's it's crazy. I had this just negative relationship with my body just because I felt like at every time I felt like I was turning a corner, something would happen and injured, can't play again, injured, can't play again. So I just got to the point where I expected it. I expected the worst from my body. And, you know, when my husband and I were talking about having a family, it was always this internal fear that I wasn't going to be able to conceive. I wasn't going to be able to, you know, have a healthy pregnancy. And, you know, I think going through the process, you know, conceiving fortunately pretty easily and, you know, not having many bumps in the road it definitely taught me to be a lot more forgiving of my body you know obviously going through pregnancy your body image completely changes and it's something that i'm still learning to do every day i don't recognize myself in the mirror and it's something you know it, it, the relationship with your body completely changes but i have so much more respect for my body now knowing that i grew a human completely from scratch and it's yeah. just like mind-blowing to me still to this day That's awesome. So your husband works for
1: the Warriors and you obviously are a professional golfer and now a mother. But question, which do you think your daughter, McKenna, will pick up first? A basketball or a golf club?
0: I don't know. I mean, I think if it was up to my husband, she would pick up a golf club first. Really? Yeah. My husband's like so obsessed with golf. Um, (laughs) That's amazing. So Callaway is one of my sponsors um, and they made a little wedge for her. And I believe like as soon as it came in, my husband put it in the bassinet with her and it's like, this is what you're going to play. But in Korean culture, actually, when the one year birthday, you actually like lay out all these things Um, like a pencil for an educator or like a gavel for a judge or, you know, balls for sports, whatever. So we're going to lay out everything and see what she literally picks up, I guess. Oh, my gosh, I can't wait to find out. That's so that's so fun. I like that tradition.
1: All right. So we have a couple repeat questions. All right. Second repeat question is they say work hard, get lucky. How much of your success is predicated on luck? And when was a time you got super lucky?
0: I mean, I, the thing that pops in mind is the ball on 16. I mean, the fact that we found the ball. I mean, if we didn't find the ball, it would be a completely different story. Maybe I would have won. Maybe I'm not. But that definitely has a lot of things to do with luck. Finding sure. a golf ball with a couple of seconds to go.
1: Yeah, like a golf ball hidden in the in yeah. weeds. Oh, man, that's that's so good. That's so true. So if you had to put a number to it in terms
0: of your career, hard work, luck, what do you think the percentages would be? I think the harder you work, the luckier you get because you put yourself in situations where luck matters. I don't know. I mean, I would say 70 hard work, 30% luck. Love it. Yes. That's good. So you've accomplished so much already. Where do you want to go next and how do you keep pushing? I think within the sport, I would love to be able to come back, play healthy, and have my daughter be there when I win a tournament and, you know, have her at the trophy celebration, be there when waiting outside the green. So that's within the sports and they really want to do. But just overall, definitely have a lot of, you know, dreams and things I want to accomplish outside of the sport. I've always been that person that, you know, has a lot of things on her plate, but just be a good wife, be a good mom, you know, just keeping happy. That's the most important thing to me
1: that's amazing. And like I said, I love that happiness is such a key part of your life. And I appreciate all the time that you've given us today and squeezing us in while your daughter is napping. So thank you um, for being on here and for just sharing your journey with us. And I'm, I'm so excited to watch you come back. Cause I do believe that you're going to, and you're going to get wins and your daughter is going to be there to, to see that and to celebrate with you. So thank you for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening. For more great sports content, go to justwomansports.com and be sure to subscribe to our newsletter. Our show was co-produced by Just Women Sports and Boom Integrated. Big thanks to our executive producers, Haley Rosen, Adrian Glover, and Robin Lai. John Murray and Sydney Shaw do our research. Production by Jen Grossman, Jeannie Montalvo, Victoria Gruenberg, Clint Rhodes, and Juan Garcia-Ticula. Special thanks to Jesse Louie, Haley Kottmeyer, Sivan Nadler, Dori Newman, Isis Haywood, and Kathleen Lumaby. I'm Kelly O'Hara, and you've been listening to the Just Women's Sports Podcast. Catch you next time.